What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Middle calf! Hey, be hey! Tell me, I, I haven't like logged this, uh, but you've been in the game for a while now. This feels like the the most fun dead week before a Super Bowl in terms of other NFL stories. Stafford, Deshaun, just that dynamic that I've experienced in a long time. Uh, this week has gone by really fast. The week without a game. Yeah. Rams hate Jared Goff. Oh yeah. Not Niners would throw Jimmy to the Wolves without a flinching. To uh, Sam Darnold, a lot, lot of quarterback, just tangible kind of potential movement out there. It's not like yeah, last year was Brady, you know that was uh, that was kind of the the white whale elephant. But it is crazy how a year changes. I, I think we viewed Brady as kind of this old guy, a little risky, you know. But it was still was Tom Brady probably going to move teams, right? Yeah, I actually, I remember at this time last year, I kept saying that I thought he was just going to go back. We didn't know, even though it kind of felt right. He had selling his house, and the 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 trail was there. But it's it's still like oh, twenty years. Where else is he going to go? Right, it's easy better? to say now. Boom! He said Tampa's in the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh God! I did the I did the math, guy. Yeah, I was just sitting here. Sometimes it just hits you like Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl. His like four closest. I'd say no one's as equal, but like of his generation, the guys that are just no doubt about it, first ballot Hall of Famers, right? I'd say his his main contemporary was Manning. Like when I think Brady, I think Manning, like Magic Bird. Then I think there's, you know, three other guys that are Rodgers, Roethlisberger, and Breeze. Mm-hmm. I did the math. Actually, when I did the math, I shortchanged. You forget about Manning. I always forget about Manning, the one he lost to Seattle when they got blown out. He went to four Super Bowls. Roethlisberger went to three. Wait, wait, wait. Manning went to four Super Bowls? Yeah, because he went to two in Indy. He won one, oh, yeah. lost to Breeze, yep. went to two in Denver, and the last one that he won is when his arm was shot. Right, right, so right. You, you forget. I just so Manning three, but you're like, I, oh, I know. Four. I was thinking three, too. So four for him, 
makes it actually you feel a little bit stronger about his career. Like, yeah, he's he's an all time that like, four he's is top a, five player. Yeah, one for four Aaron. Is a good That's five. three for Roethlisberger. One, two. That's eight. And lost and lost to Aaron. And then Breeze is nine. So you combine like his the first ballot Hall of Fame contemporaries. Brady has their appearances by one. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> that's nuts. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. 10 is on another. I mean, that's... Like, where would you guess Mahomes ends up? Just appearances. Would you uh, take the over-under five and a half? No. That feels pretty high. Yeah, I would if not. Mahomes gets to five and wins three out of five, like, that's just... I mean, he's a lock, top five, top two player ever. Right? I, know. I, mean, it's, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, we talk about him like he's headed that direction, but you still got to do it. Because just occasionally, the Goff, a Jimmy, right, a Flacco, a Brad Johnson, like they take spots historically forever, right? Just the random Jimmy Garoppolo took a Rogers spot last year. He just took one of the spots. Matty Ice, just random and above average guys take spots. Yeah. Russell Russell might end up like we look back at Russell's career. It's like, God, he made two. And has one. Should have had two. Yeah. And maybe if he had gotten the second one, he would have had more. But it doesn't feel like they're getting back. I don't... To me, I, I wouldn't predict that Seattle's getting back. It doesn't feel that way. No. Only getting harder for them. Yeah. TK just, says they don't... They, they got no offense. They just run down the field straight. <laughs> you know, Pete, you know. Yeah. Yeah, your head coach? Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know what's funny? is like, Pete... I've watched some of his press conferences. They are closer to like Belichick than I would imagine just the casual fan that's not locked into Seattle thinks. Russell is the equivalent of Belichick as a player. I mean, he says nothing. And then they got DK like, yeah, our offense sucked. We just ran, you know, run up the middle, run up the middle, deep bomb. On a podcast with uh, who was interviewing him? Was it like Steven Jackson or Brandon Marshall or someone? Yeah, I, I, I can't remember. <laughs> Maybe it was Brandon. Oh, no, it was Brandon Marshall. I think they got a YouTube show, those guys. It's like Brandon Marshall, Channing Crowder, Chad Johnson. They just do like a week. Maybe it's on Showtime, like a weekly show where they just like talk shit and yeah. fuck around. And I, this is the first time I've ever seen them have a guest. And they're just so. What's the good thing with them? And this is where players have a big advantage. So like, great. bro, what's up with your uh, quarterback coach? And the guy's kind of letting his guard down because yep. he thinks he's talking to his boys. Like, yeah, that guy's a tool. And then he's thinking to himself, he's like, oh my God, I'm going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> That's probably DK realizes after when the thing goes viral, like, uh, Pete wants to talk to you. It's like, oh, uh, you guys didn't tell me everyone's watching the show. <laughs> yeah. it, you just went viral, DK. Podcast brought to you by Ease. Ease.com. Use the promo code HAM. Get you 20 bucks off your first delivery of $50 or more. Or use the promo code HAM10 if you're a returning user. It gets you 10% off. What's better than that, yeah. huh? N- nothing, guy. Ease.com, E-A-Z-E.com, number one cannabis delivery in the state of California, delivers it right to your house. Edibles, topicals, pre-rolls, vapes, you name it, they got it. Just go to E-A-Z-E.com, shop. If you've already done it, tell your friends. If you're not a returning user, use Ham10, get yourself a little 10% discount. Place an order and have it delivered to your house. What's easier, pizza delivery or Ease? I'd say Ease. i say do them both at the same time. 100%. Maybe stagger. Get your ease to order. Take some of them. Whatever you whatever you order, and then order a pizza. Tell your friends. Just got to be twenty one or over. You get verified online in minutes. Get it all set up. The spread for your Super Bowl. Have ease all over the table. Uh, next to your pizza. Next to your beers. Next to your nachos. Some caminos oh. right there. In a little bowl. Do it. 
Uh, promo code ham. Promo code ham10. Pride, uh, and thank you for all the support of ease, by the way. And Appreciate thank it. you. Keep, keep doing it. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank everybody. Podcast also brought to you by mybookie.ag, promo code ham and the number one. Mybookie.ag, promo code ham and the number one. Um, where right now you can bet on the Super Bowl. You can bet on the NBA. You can bet on college hoops. John, did you hear the Sharks are back to the tank? You can bet on the NHL, PGA <laughs> odds, boxing, Premier League, NASCAR, Daytona 500 coming up, uh, Aussie Open, uh, Denny Hamlin, John, plus 600 oh. for our hardcores. Promo code HAM1. My bookie will match your first deposit 50% up to 1000 bucks. Remember, if you accept the bonus, you do have to bet the full amount before you can withdraw. You can also decline the bonus, but either way, use the promo code HAM1 so they know that we sent you. Yep, you can live bet. Live betting is a feature. MyBookie.ag, promo code HAM1. Uh, got Tory Pines on in the background. You want to get in on that bad boy? I just hit live bet. You can get right now John Rahm 3-1. to one. Not great odds, but live betting is a little safer than... Keeping your fingers crossed that your guy would do well. So uh, get your live bet on. Get your Super Bowl odds on. How about guy? We have a ton of Super Bowl props. Probably have to really attack those next week and incorporate those in the pod. There's some good ones. I mean, there are a... There's a ton, guy. I, I just clicked on Super Bowl odds. We got coin toss. We got halftime show. We got main props. We got field goals. We got Super Bowl touchdowns. We got first half lines. We got player prop specials. Quarterback props, Gatorade shower. Can I read you? I have Gatorade. Gatorade shower open right now. Can I read you the Gatorade shower? Yeah. At, uh, uh, Please. Odds? What I love about this is knowing that there are a bunch of gamblers out there DMing with like uh, the assistant, uh, you know, uh, trainer or whoever's job it is to fill. Like the guy just got done polishing a helmet and he's got a text from like three Vegas insiders trying to figure out what color is in the. They've like watching film. I need the all twenty-two. What they yeah. dump on him week six. Orange is plus 125. Red or pink is plus 300. Yellow, green, or lime are plus 400. Purple is plus 600. Clear plus 600. And blue is plus 700. I think the hard part is there are probably several flavors of Gatorade, correct? Just on the uh, on the table. So yeah. you never know which one they're going to pick up, even if they were to tell you, well, our guys, Mahomes likes red, Honey Badger likes green, and just uh, purple is just always a fan favorite, so those are our three. But plus, orange is a heavy favorite. I don't like orange. Uh, it's not. Uh, you know what? I've gotten a little. My problem is I love orange juice, and orange Gatorade takes nothing. Tastes nothing like orange juice, and that always throws me off. What's your favorite Gatorade? Uh, I mean, it's red or yellow. Yeah, I'm. A, I would say that those are the two most popular by far. I like the. Uh, what's the one that's? I actually do like a blue as well. I don't mind the blue either. Purple was always pretty popular. I remember in purple. NFL and purple always circles. tastes like such a treat, you know? Yeah. Gatorade. <laughs> I think when you play football, it's probably works this way in basketball, baseball. I mean, it feels like they drink sodas in, in football. Gatorade is probably every bit as powerful in terms of how much they consume as water. Like you never, like when you go on a plane on an, on an NFL or a college flight, Every guy's handed three Gatorades. Hydrate up, guys. And and you just drink it because it's a double whammy. It's got the electrolytes and it just tastes good. It tastes fantastic. <laughs> I like the G2. You know, I always get the G2 is like the white G2, whatever. That, it's not even a flavor. I, I don't know. Don't mind that one either. I, I'm more the of a zero. zero guy. I'm a zero. Yeah, zero. Sorry, I'm not zero, G2. Yeah. Actually, G2, zero is much. G2 is a little too artificial, sweetie tasting. I had, I had a conversation before we dive into football that we were talking about like uh, Diet Dr. Pepper or something. It's zero calories. And Gatorade Zero is a good example of this too. Zero calories. How could anything beside water have zero calories? You can't tell me that Coke Zero has 
just no calories. So I just drink it. It's zero. Like there's just nothing. Cause they all say zero calories, right? Pepsi zero Gatorade, Gatorade zero. I have one here right here. It says five calories. How's that possible? I, don't I thought the zero was now, the sugar. I thought, I thought the sugar zero was, was the cal- zero. I, I thought the zero was like in, I know Coke zero, zero calories. I thought, Oh, maybe it's Coke, but also no sugar, but no calories. Oh, okay. The calories, I, I like if you're, if you're about to work out, the ca- calories are good. That's the part that throws me. Yeah, I guess, but I'm no doctor here. I'm not either. I've always gotten zero thinking it was zero fake. Well, I guess it's all fake sugar. Ooh. Anyway, yeah. welcome to the podcast. Uh, Brent Brennan, John, is going to be on the show today, so stay tuned for that. Head coach of San Jose State. Love this guy. Turned down, turned down some Pac-12 jobs. I think he's a coaching rising superstar. Yeah, big, big name, and uh, we had fun with him. That's coming up. Also, don't forget, go to iTunes. Rate our podcast. Give us a review. In your review, ask us a mailbag question. We'll get to another one at the end of the podcast today. We appreciate you guys doing that. So go do that. Go ask. It could be it. anything. Anything at all. Do Gatorade flavors. Do it. Um, what else? What, what, what other announcements do we have at the beginning before we start class? Uh, I think we have some unique content on the uh, YouTube page. So go check that out. We did a stream yesterday about quarterbacks. We got some stuff on Deshaun Watson up there. Uh, just got some separate stuff from the podcast up there as well. Go to the Haberman and Middlecoff YouTube channel. Yeah, go subscribe to that thing. Help it grow. We appreciate out. your support. Check this shit yeah. out, man. You know, John, we were doing a live stream on YouTube on Wednesday, and somebody asked uh, in the comments, how frustrating will it be if Jimmy Garoppolo is the week one starter? Disheartening, I think, was more. After all this talk about all these quarterbacks. And uh, you, I thought that was a good observation. You, you ever remember when you were a kid and you thought maybe, like, we're going to get pizza tonight or Chinese food or something, and you end up not getting takeout at all, and you eat, like, peanut butter and jelly for dinner? And... You're just you're furious. That to me is kind of the feeling. It would be devastating. Yeah, you, you know think the, you're getting a large pizza and you end up eating like beans from the cabinet. You know the opposite of that is when you open up the fridge in the morning and you see there's salmon defrosting and you're just like, oh no, what am I even living this day for? And then at the end of the night, the person cooking it goes, you know, I don't feel like making it. Let's just get some pizza. That's the reverse. That's yeah. like <laughs> somebody's gonna end up with Deshaun Watson and it's gonna feel like that. So what the Niners end up with, we don't know. But the beauty of the situation is it does feel like they are a legitimate candidate for several different options. How it ends, TBD. But right now, they're in the conversation, and a lot of these conversations are fun to have, right? They're like conversations you want to be in. Yeah, and I think the conversation this year is just so dramatically different than where we were a year ago. It was almost like, listen, Jimmy kind of proved himself, ride this thing out, even people that were bullish were like, well, yeah, I don't know if he's like a superstar, but he's better than you can get. Don't even worry about that. And it turns out they didn't really. And then they got burned. And now they're in the position, a lot of times when you get burned, most times there just isn't, I mean, we have we have Drew Brees retired. I don't think it's official yet, but he's, Jake Glazer reported he's gone. Rivers is gone. Uh, Sam Darnold, Tua potentially on the move. You got Matt Stafford, they've already announced, like they're getting a divorce. Deshaun's like deuces. It's just kind of some craziness with a lot of with a lot of people. It's a double whammy. It's like teams that have had just stalwarts forever. The Colts really have gone from Luck, Peyton to Luck to Rivers. Like, you know, they had the one year when Peyton or Luck walked out, but for the most part, they've always had a quarterback. Now they got nothing. The the Saints have had the same quarterback for a decade and a half, who's a Hall of Famer. A decade and a half. The Niners thought they had signed their long-term guy, gets from the Super Bowl, and now they're like, he's got to go. You got the Jets with Staff, uh, 
Darnold. You got Tua that might be a bust. It's just, it's kind of crazy. And the Niners, on the bright side, they're in the mix, and they got the 12th pick, which is better than a lot of the picks for the playoff-level teams. But it's also, there's a lot of competition out there. So it's supply-demand naturally lifts up what you have to pay to get Stafford or Deshaun. Which is going to, either way, it's a lot. A lot of competition, but we're talking about with Deshaun and Stafford, two quarterbacks that have some say in where they're going to go. And the 49ers do have themselves in a good spot in that they are an attractive destination. Are they the most attractive destination for either one of those players? Doesn't feel like right now Stafford has said the Niners are number one on my list. Doesn't feel like certainly Deshaun, if you're in Miami, it feels like Deshaun prefers to go there. But the Niners are attractive enough that they have a legitimate. They get a legitimate seat at the table. They belong yeah. at the conversation. Now, yeah, maybe that means they end up with Darnold. But there's also the whole dynamic of we think right now there's probably four quarterbacks that are going to go in the top ten, top fifteen. Okay, well the Niners are in an okay spot then. They can move up a little bit if they have to. They can sit maybe. Maybe they like Mac Jones interviewing very well at the Senior Bowl. Um, a bit, I, though on the bright side for them with the draft picks, like you just alluded to. There is a big difference just being at 12 than being at like 18, right? They're, they aren't that far away. To, like, they don't have to give next year's one to get to seven, right? They could probably give pick three and a player. Who knows? You know, but it's just you don't have to unload the entire freight. Remember a couple years ago, the Cardinals went from 15 to 10 to get Rosen. Ironically, they had the number one pick the next year, but it cost them a third round pick. Yeah. Right. So you, you can get three or four or five spots without just feel like you just mortgage the future, right? Well, like, remember the the Chiefs and the Texans when they got Deshaun and Mahomes, which any team would given back would got, God, that's what, they each gave up a one to come from the 20s to 10 and 12. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the year that the Rams and the Eagles had to go a long way, that was a two-quarterback draft, and the guys were going to go one and two, right? Yeah. The Eagles had to come from 13. They made two deals. Um and the the Rams were even further back. I think the Rams did two first. They swapped the first. Then they did another second, two twos and two and three threes. Yeah, so they pretty might, crazy. Was that with the Titans? Yeah. The the, the Eagles kind of came. Hail Mary was like, God, oh, the Eagles are way back here. Then they do this trade with the Dolphins. Then they do this other trade. It's like Jesus. Roseman was wheeling and dealing. Yeah. So they're not. You're right. They're not this is not this is not going to have as many pre-draft trades like that one. Unless these star quarterbacks are involved, right? You're not going to trade up to two because it's just Carson and Goff, right? Or Jameis and Mariota. It, this isn't that draft because everyone is going to view the draft picks as different. Remember a couple years ago, the Jets were at six and the Colts were at three and they flip-flopped way before the draft. And people were like, that's a pretty bold move. You don't mm-hmm. even know who's going to be there. And they're like, well, we got four guys and we'd be cool with getting the third in any of the rotations. I was like, that's pretty nut. And it, the way at least they claimed, remember, they got Darnold. They're like, well, Darnold was the number one guy on our board. And it actually was kind of believable because Baker went one. But that was a pretty risky move. It, it was. And it, set the, and it set up the Colts for greatness because they got all those extra second-round picks. They hit on them all. Doesn't that kind of feel like this draft where somebody might get up? I'm not saying someone's going to do it, but it, that kind of feels the way we talk about this draft right now. There's not really a clear number two quarterback. Yes. Uh, and so there's not a clear number three that maybe you could conceivably have all three of those guys grouped very tightly together, Zach Wilson and uh, yeah. and Justin Fields and Trey Lance. So I think the Rams were at 15. I'm just 
going back trying to figure that out. But yeah, it was whatever. something crazy. And then um, remember the hard knocks, and everyone's like, "Is Jared Goff terrible?" Oh yeah, well, I remember his <laughs> season, and everyone was like, "Is Jared Goff terrible?" Under Jeff Fisher, remember he couldn't take a snap. Is Jeff practice? Fisher right now going? Well, that he gets used. Uh, he gets used like Singletary in some of the coaching videos, but like he, he's like, I went to a Super Bowl. Yeah, he's a, hold on. Yeah, it's not, not fair to Jeff Fisher to be included <laughs> no, in that it's conversation. Not, no, it's not. So anyway, I mean, look, I, I don't know. I think the options that are the easiest ones, Deshaun the, the is kind of an outlier option in terms of the what you'd have to give to get him. Um, I would put that a distant. I mean, would you put it, I was going to say third behind Stafford and drafting a quarterback, but it could be that, Sam Darnold is ahead of him in terms of what's most likely to happen for the Niners. If we made like odds on all the Niners options, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think there are going to be two categories. Like if, are we willing to just bet the house? Then to me, you're going after Deshaun. Do we want a strategic, you know, kind of like a buying a home in a recession and hoping that we can strike gold and quadruple our value to me, that's where Sam Darnold comes into play. And then there's Matt Stafford. Like, are we willing to kind of make the risky business proposition that people people are talking about Matt Stafford? And listen, I like him, and I will not complain if he's on the Niners. He's being discussed like a draft prospect in his mid thir- early 30s. You know, this talent, he's been in the league for 12 years. Oh, you're saying where it's like, just get him with Kyle and see, see what happens. Yeah, just get him, you know. We have seen his years. ceiling. We've seen his ceiling as a player, and it's his ceiling's really good. But it's not as if yeah. it's like an un, the production in terms of what his team has done is untapped. But in terms of like, is there another level to his play? Probably not. I think part of it's like if that if he just plays to that level, and we put him on a way better team, we're just in much better shape, right? Yeah, his teams yeah. have been consistently shitty. He's been on a couple decent teams, guy, and they went to the playoffs, and he was a good player. But I I do think he's. He's a polarizing discussion in a in a meeting with GM and the coach. Like there are as many positives. There there are a lot of unknown question marks. When I, because like Sam Darnold's just cheap. I might be able to get him for a third. Deshaun is the guy you're putting. I'm buying Tesla right now. Yeah, it could keep going up. It's also really high, but he's really talented, and it might never go away, and it might just be worth it when it's all said and done. Then there's Stafford to me that I'd put in the middle. Like I'd put Deshaun as you got to. You got to pay, I don't know, like 130 cents on the dollar for him, which in a couple years, you might not even think twice about it, but you're just paying a ton. So you're going to be nervous. Stafford, you probably got to just pay what he's probably worth, you know, give or take, you know, right. If he's worth a dollar, you're either paying 95 cents or a buck oh five, but you just, that guy's got to be good. And then there's immediate pressure. And then Sam to me is like the under the radar high return move because Guy, he's 23 years old. He's been in a disaster situation. In this offense, like you just need that guy with the nakeds and the boots to dump. It's just, is he good enough in the pocket? But then you hit me with the stat, like, well, is Stafford good enough in the pocket? PFF, one of the lowest pocket passers accuracy in the league. In a clean pocket, yeah. So I just, it's like, and I really feel good about trading three ones and two twos for Deshaun Watson. Like, that's a lot. Well, it's this is kind of a draft conversation, right? In a given year, you don't normally have this many options. That's kind of the point of what this what we're saying here. In a given year. That are year, like legitimately available. Right, right, right. And in most years, it would just be, so Stafford's available. Not Deshaun Watson, not Sam Darnold, just Stafford. 
And in hindsight, there's no like, well, if you had just paid a little more for Deshaun, you could have got that. Or you could have paid less for Sam Darnold and look what he became. Like we will be able to compare all of these things in two or three years. In a normal year, it would be, well, do you want a better quarterback? If you want a better quarterback, you're going to have to roll the dice on Stafford. Can you make a better offer than three other teams? And that'll be that. And we'll look back and go, well, I mean, that, if you want to upgrade, Stafford was the only guy out there. So that's what you did. This yeah. is, there's this whole, it's again, it's like drafting. Like, do we move up three spots and get that guy? We could actually, if we just move back a couple spots, we could add a pick. So that's value. We'll get a different player, but maybe we can turn him into something. Right? It's, you know what it reminds me? You know what reminds me of? What? Is the Nick Bosa draft. When we're like, well, Kyler's going one. And the Niners set the draft. We're going to find out who they think is the best player in the draft. Because they need defense. They could pick any of these guys. They chose Bosa and we're like, you know what? They got it right. But it wasn't. We were just like, could they take Quinn and Williams? Devin White? There were just other options. They chose Bosa. Got it right. And then we saw kind of the domino effect of, I see Devin White. Like, I'd rather have him over Quinn and Williams. Now, at the time, I would have taken Quinn and Williams. But life goes on. Like, information comes out. People are like, Middlecoff, you said you would have done that. Yeah, two years ago. Then you watch the guy play. In scouting meetings, you never like, well, I love this guy in 2016. Well, it's 2021. <laughs> we got information. Players change, good and bad. The guys that you think are going to be good. Like, right now, Darnold and Stafford... Like Deshaun, you're not projecting. You're just asking yourself, is it worth giving up whatever they're asking, which could just be like four ones. That, to me, is a conversation. Because you know if you get them, you're going to feel you can win with them. The Stafford-Darnold situation is is a double whammy. Well, what do we got to pay? And then how good is he going to be for us? Stafford is like, well, he's a little older. Can he stay healthy? Darnold, like, is he actually good? Or is it is the culture there? Could he be better here? Because if I told you right now, both guys the next three or four years are fringe pro bowlers, neither of them are winning MVP or whatever, I'd 100% rather get Darnold. Cheaper, younger, just I have on my team for longer. Yeah, like, To me, it's a no-brainer. Now, if Stafford, if you told me, well, Stafford's going to win an MVP in the next couple of years if you get him, like, okay. I, I think the pressure with trading for Stafford, and we, you and I have talked about this a lot just the last week, is immense. On him, on just the team, just because he's going to be viewed like this ultimate, like an end, like when you trade for James Harden, it's like, you better win it all right now. It's like when the Warriors got Kevin Durant. And again, I'm not saying Stafford's as good as those guys. My point is when you get this veteran player who's in his thirties, it's like, especially if you were to trade two ones table. for him. Yeah. I, I'd even say like you give 12 and 12, two and a player or something. There's just going to be a lot of pressure on it. If 12 is yeah. involved and not just how he plays, but to stay healthy. Like Chris Ballard. That's the part. I've said it many times. That's the part that would keep me awake on Stafford is his health. Totally agree. He's a tough SOB. There was a ton of pressure on Ballard when he traded for DeForest Buckner. Like, you trade that high pick, DeForest Buckner, he better be awesome. And it's like, yeah, you see 16 games? Fucking all pro. Yeah. Pro Bowl snub, but they got it wrong. (laughs) He was awesome. And no one even quite, like, digs. There was pressure on that move. It's like, works. And you're like, okay. Like, they've already validated it. Like, okay, it works. But that pressure, you feel it right away. Because you feel it like, I just follow the Eagles closely. It's like, God, Jalen Rager, they they screwed that. Like, the pressure on a first-round pick, whether you use it on a veteran, whether you use it on a player, we do it with, you know, the we talk a lot about the Kinlaws and the Iukes and the Cleveland Farrells. There is just an... There's a weight on the shoulder of that pick, however you use it, right? Kinlaw is a perfect example, right? There's there's not that much pressure on Ayuk. 
Now, part of it is Ayuk has, was really good, and a receiver is easy to see how good he But Kinlaw from the jump was like, okay, you're replacing the. We traded to Forrest because we thought you could replace him. Now, as always, it's not that simple. There's a massive financial element to this, but that also elevated the pressure on Eric Armstead, that trade, right? Like that trade put pressure on a couple other guys on the Niners. I think Ayuk also benefits a little bit. Like, I wasn't the first first rounder of this draft for our team, right? Yeah, yeah. And in like, he's but also, who's he replacing? The Niners receivers. It's like, well, it's Jerry Rice. Yeah, that guy's been gone since '99. By the way, John traded up from 28 to 16 to get Jerry Rice. All they had to give up in swapping those picks was a second and a third. Even 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 before Belichick got to the Patriots, they weren't great at evaluating the receivers. How would you grade that uh, transaction in 2021, January 28th? Would you give it an A? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a B plus, John. I would have liked in retrospect to uh, gotten a third back. Actually, they did a third swap, so it's an A. So they swapped ones, they swapped threes, and all they got was a two. They got from 28 to 16, they had Jerry Rice. I don't think the Jimmy Johnson value chart came around in the NFL until like the 90s. That changed the game. It's like, wait, the, the numbers don't add up. Yep. <laughs> I liked it better without the chart where it was just, you just on feel. Me too. Like, oh, uh, two ones for uh, six sixes? <laughs> you know, quantity over quality. <laughs> so, I don't know. I, I, I love that. I feel I like crazy having... ass trades used to happen more like when we were growing up, when it was more a gut feel. Let yeah, it rip. Ditka. You know, uh, Ricky Williams, entire draft. Where you're like... Now they'd be like, well, the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh aren't really that valuable, right? <laughs> I mean, who cares? Yeah. For but at the back, time, that, that to me is one of the most us. memorable trades in the history of sports. For sure. Right? Yeah. No Entire doubt. draft, one player, Ricky Williams, Ditka. Ditka wearing the dreads. Remember that picture? Of, On SI. SI cover. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. Oh. I, I wish I would love a trade like that. Deshaun Watson for our entire draft two years in a row. Might work. That would have happened. If this was 1989, that'd be on the table. We'll just give you our entire drafts. <laughs> Did Even our ninth rounder? Yeah. And our undrafted free agent budget. You can have that too. That, that'd be a baseball thing. Like, yeah. We'll give you the $25,000 we're allotted to spend on undrafted free agents. On players from Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah. All right, Middlecoff, we got a guest on the show today. San Jose State, head coach, Mountain West champion, Mountain West unanimous. I don't know if he's unanimous. Coach of the year. Brent Brennan. John was watching a lot. Uh, I was watching a lot. The 2020 Mountain West Coach of the Year. Have you? Did you get a trophy? Where's the? Did, did they ship it to you? I mean, there can't really be a ceremony. What's the deal? With no, 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 no. But that that was a uh, that was nice recognition. I felt like for our team. I, you know, anytime you get an award like that, it's got everything to do with everybody else and so little to do with you. You know, I was like, okay, um, great. You know, but really when it happened, I was really more important, you know, more interested in beating Nevada that week and, uh, you know, with our team. And so, you know, I think anytime something like that happens, it's a great example of, uh, you know, other people lifting you up as, as the head coach. And that's what I've had here with our staff and our administration. It's just a lot of great collaboration, good people, really, really good people. You know, Winning the Mountain West or any co conference in Division One college football is impressive, but to do it the way you guys did it this year, training camp away from where you guys live and and normally play, and uh, was it more satisfying or is it just you know accumulation of everything that you knew would one day happen? 
No, it was definitely really special. And and we were in a funny space, just the way this thing started and, and COVID and, and our county and where all that was, right? And so um, for it to happen that way was really special. But I think the more, the bigger special part of it or the thing that I, I really focus on was just, you know, two years ago, we were a 1-11 football team. And the amount of work that our players did and our coaches did and our administration did to get us to this point where we could be in that title game and play for that um, was so special. And so that, that was where it was more like the COVID stuff was kind of a added distraction, but it was also a little bit galvanizing for us as a program. Cause I think we might've had it. I think only Danny Gonzalez and the guys in New Mexico had it worse or had it more challenging than us. I should say more challenging than us. So for people that don't cool. know, they spent the whole season in Vegas. Like they were just in Vegas the whole time. Yeah. It's pretty wild. I mean, it's just, it's wild. Um, you know, for, for you guys, though, to be 7-0 and uh, going into the bowl game, which hasn't happened at San Jose State since 1939, um, top 25 CFP final rankings, finished 22nd. But, you know, San Jose State, I, I don't know if it felt this way to you at the time, you were a guy who was not a coordinator before you got a head coaching job. And there are examples of those guys succeeding. But I think we, from the outside, you go, okay, how does anybody hiring, whether it's a GM hiring a head coach at the professional level or an athletics director at the college level, how do you identify this skill, right, to build a culture, to build up a program? In somebody where you don't have now, it's like if you're not a Sean McVeigh assistant coach, right, we don't really know exactly what to, what to make of what you do. So what what was it? Like, how did you sell yourself when you didn't have, hey, here's here's the offense I ran last year that was fifth in the nation? That's a good question. You know, I, I think it had more to do with my belief in San Jose State University and what I thought football could be here, uh, what I thought football could be to the university, what I thought it could be to the city of San Jose. Um, you know, I, having been an assistant here for six years, I think gave me a little bit of perspective on – uh, just what, what was good, what was bad, what was missing, what, you know, what could be added. Um, but in my interview process, what really came down to is that, that I believed we could build a championship program here. And I was able to communicate that, you know, with the committee and, and with the president and the athletic director. And, um, and, and really I was trying to find out how bad they wanted to go on that ride too. And it was a, it was a really, uh, you know, kind of interesting, exciting interview, like a lot of energy and a lot of good questions. And uh, it, it was a pretty special moment. When I came out of there, I felt great. Um, I called my wife um, on the drive, on the drive up to, I was flying out of Oakland because I had to go recruiting the next day. And I called my wife. She started crying on the phone. She's like, oh my God, you're going to get it. We have to move, you know. Like it was <laughs> You know what I'm always fascinated is by just watching you from afar. I think it's fair to say you're a very positive, upbeat person and you, you get this job. And I think like a lot of Mountain West jobs when they're first kind of, uh, I, you know, I, I worked for Pat Hill, but I was never around when he kind of took the program in 97, 98 and 99, like the tough, the heavy lifting. And I always heard war stories about that. And his was more like a force of will. And everyone does it their own way. It feels like you from afar force a positivity and a belief. But how do you believe when you win three games total the first two years at a place that it's one thing you take over in Alabama or Texas that's down like they you know, you can win San Jose State. Fair to say it's really hard to win. And you don't win the first couple of years. 
how do you know that you could have got to this point where you got to in 2020? No, you're right on. You know, we, we did we didn't have history of of successful football teams prior. I think um, this was I think our this was our fifth bowl game since like '91 or '92, and this is our uh, fourth winning season in that time in 30 years. So, um, knowing all that, I, I did think it was going to take someone with a lot of energy and someone with a lot of enthusiasm and belief to get it going in the right direction here, and the those conversations with our team, we, even though, you know, our first year ready and we weren't kind of good enough and we were struggling through the process of um, kind of revamping everything and, and trying to, you know, anytime there's transition, like normally that, that that's, a, that can be a little bit ugly, a little bit challenging. I, I think for the most part, that's how it happens. But, and that first year was like that. The players on the team were amazing. Uh, they gave us everything they had. Um, and just, we just had some work to do. And then the next year we lost a lot of games, but we were in a lot of close games and going into that, going into our third season, I took screenshots, um, from the scoreboards of the fourth quarter in six games. And in six games, we were tied leading or one possession down in the fourth quarter. So that became a whole focus of our off season, right? Like, okay, we got to the fourth quarter. We are either leading tied or with within a score and we lost all these games, right? We won in 11, you know, so that became like a really huge fire, a positive thing. And then that next year, that third year, you started to see some of that turn, right? We, uh, you know, we're leading at Arkansas in the fourth quarter and they tie it up and then we have a clock drive to go win it you know, in a full stadium, in a situation, no one thinks we can win, but you know, those seeds were planted the pri- the, the previous year when like, no, no, Hey, look, look, we're, we're playing good football. We just need to learn how to finish. And that kind of continued on. And I think this year was a, obviously the highlight of it. So do you ever waver, you know, I mean, that first year, even the second year, one and 11, I know it's easy to look back and build on those positive momentums, but in the time, you know, we're, we're all trying to positive thinking and trying to take the next step and whatever we're doing. But when you're in it, sometimes if you're struggling, you know, it's challenging. Like how, how do you do it? No, you're like, right. What, what is there techniques you use in your mind? Like I'm, I'm serious. Oh, well, I, you know, absolutely. I think there's some stuff you can do to help mitigate that or help you get yourself in the right spot. But I, I think most of those hard conversations are me in my car or were on my way home from the office. Just those moments of self-doubt, those moments of frustration, those moments of disappointment. Um, you know, there was a couple post-game, you know, locker room, empty facility, shower, just crying, you know, just like, oh, God, what is going on here? That happened to me after we lost to Hawaii in five overtimes. You know, Nick Rolovich is my buddy. He's the head coach. All I wanted to do was beat his ass, and I couldn't. And, uh, you know, and, and we went to five overtimes, and we missed three field goals or we missed two field goals in overtime. Our conference – all conference kicker just had a bad day, and we lost. And I was just devastated. But I think um, – really when you have those hard moments, it's, it's also, you know, what are you saying to yourself? And I think that's been a problem or a challenge, a challenge at San Jose state over time is that people just tell themselves they can't, they run or, and it doesn't matter where it could be anywhere. That's, it could be uh, Kansas state before coach Snyder got there, wherever a place that has been historically struggled or hasn't struggled in recent memory, 
or hasn't won in recent memory. I think it's, it's those, you know, do you believe you can? Okay. Yeah. There's going to be hard moments, but how quickly can you overcome them? How quickly can you get back on track and, and continue, uh, you know, building that belief and, 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 and nurturing that thought of overcoming obstacles and, and that I think helped us. I know one of the things you say in recruiting to your athletes is, hey, for your job, for your potential non-football career after college is we're in Silicon Valley. Come here. The internships, the connections, the opportunities are all going to be great. The Silicon Valley Business Journal just wrote a cover story about you. I mean, the conversation we're having with you, leadership, right? This is you've you've elevated a startup to now. I don't know. You guys went public this year, basically. Um are you getting a lot of, are people asking you to come talk to their companies now? You know, I've done, I've done some of that all along. And I think it, it probably has a little bit more of a connection to just the fact that I grew up here. And a lot of uh, my friends from high school and college are kind of moved up in the Valley in one way or another. And they're, you know, they're just the correlation between athletics and sales or, you know, football, you know, and, you know, kind of what we've done here over time is, is been an interesting conversation for people to hear. I love doing that because I think it gives me a chance to brag on our student athletes. It gives me a chance to build connections um, for someone who might be interested in hiring one of our young men or young women, uh, you know, from San Jose state to join their uh, organization or their company. Um, that's definitely a, a fundamental part of, of us building this program here has been our beyond football program. that's run by Tobrook Blaine. Um, she's just a, total badass and she's amazing and has built out this program that now, you know, we kind of were the, you know, we were the pilot here with football for the first couple of years and now we're rolling it out to our entire athletic department. And, um, you know, the, so, you know, the combination of knowing we're in the Valley and how impactful that could be for young people in their future. Um, you know, we combine that with the beyond football piece. It's given a chance for a lot of young men to take a real look at, San Jose State to kind of hopefully change the per perception of what San Jose State University is. I'm sure when you talk to those people, and definitely I know when you talk to your team, because every coach does it when you first get a job, but really hammer it home every year. It's the core beliefs, uh, you know, of your program, of you personally as a coach. What what are those? Oh, they're they're pretty simple. You know what I mean? It's 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 anything that can derail a young person's life. Um, you know, it's treat women with respect. It's, um, you know, no, you know, drugs, it's, you know, academic process. It's tell the truth. It's really simple. Um, we try and keep it in a simple space. that's easy for guys to follow and understand. Um, and I, I think when you're helping young men grow into men, there's some things that have to be hard and fast and consistent and in their life. And, um, you know, that's what we try and do for them. And it, you know, I mentioned the academic thing. That was a big part of what we did when we started here was, um, you know, we're going to hammer the academic test and process of our young men with them. So that super high level of accountability, because that's the only way you measure achievement in the off season. It, it's really academics in the weight room. So how are you proving that you're on the path to winning, uh, you know, how do you measure that when you're not playing games, right? Football, you only get 12 games hoping to play 13. And so, but there's another eight months out there where you're trying to find ways to prove you're moving in the right direction. And, and we did that with the academic process in the weight room. I want to talk to you about quarterbacks, finding quarterbacks, because 
you know, it, it, everything in the game seems to be geared towards finding a quarterback, especially in John and I love the draft. We talk about the draft. There's four quarterbacks are probably going the top eight picks. One of them has been predestined for three years, Trevor Lawrence. The other one, Zach Wilson, I mean, like Barrett didn't play. A, I mean, it's just, you know, play like three games that scout. No one really knows what to make. He played a ton of games. Trey Lance played one game at the FCS level this year and Justin Fields from the national championship. And nobody knows how to separate those last three guys, right? Your quarterback who was fantastic. You actually had two quarterbacks this year. Your quarterback, Nick Starkle had been at Texas A&M had been in Arkansas, had been like a primetime blue chip recruit and came to your program because your former quarterback texted him and told him he should like, is there any science to figuring out who's going to be a good quarterback and how to get them? I don't think so. I, I mean, I think it's, I know that sounds silly for me to say that, but it's not an exact science. And when you look at the incredible amount of money spent on evaluation, certainly at the NFL level, um, and just what the track record is for finding the right you know, person for that job for each organization, it, it looks like it's, you know, like winning the lottery, right? Like you, you think about the guys that, played in the NFC championship game last weekend, right? Like Tommy Brady's a six round draft pick and Drew Brees is a second round draft pick. They're both first ballot hall of famer. They're both goats in their own right. You know, like, like if you had known that it was going to look like that, obviously they, they would have been taken first. And, and so I, I just find that kind of that storyline, that process fascinating. I think we re- have a really good group of coaches here. I think our offensive coordinator, Kevin McGiven, does a great job with our scheme and our and our process. And um, and Ryan Gunnerson coaches our quarterbacks, and he's excellent. Um, he's a young coach. He had never coached before. He had been a player personnel director at Oregon State and also at Nebraska with Mike Riley. Um, he was a high school quarterback but and all that good stuff. And and we worked together at Oregon State, and I knew, I knew he wanted to coach and, and I thought he'd be really good at it and uh, that's proving uh, accurate you know as, as we continue to go with, with what he did with Josh Love and all, and now Nick Starkle and all you know also you know Nick Nash so um, it's, it's fun to watch it's a, but it is an inexact it's not an exact science and I you know I always watch the NFL thing because I find it so interesting just how do you choose right you know Alex Smith versus Aaron Rodgers right like we're all old enough to remember that that saga. I mean, that was such a story, especially if you're from the Bay or California, like that was the, you know, you have a San Diego kid and a Chico kid and, you know, Niners have the first pick. And so it's just interesting. More with Brent and Brandon coming up first, get in our DraftKings game, DraftKings promo code ham chance at millions right now at DraftKings. Guy, here's the plan. Our golf game's already going for Tory Pines. We try to get people in that game filled up pretty quick. Uh, we tweet them out every week. Go to download the DraftKings app. Use the promo code HAM. And we're going to do one for the Super Bowl next week. We got a ton of golf tournaments coming up. The AT&T, some WGCs. We're just going to keep flowing. You want to get in our game? We'll give you our money. I think at, currently as we're recording this, I'm dead last. So I'm, I'm just giving you 10 bucks, 5 bucks, whatever the whatever the buy in that given week. I Haberman might win, but not me. So get in. Super Bowl 55. DraftKings is bringing back the golden ticket giveaway. Up to $55 million in prizes up for grabs. All you got to do to get your share of these huge prizes, enter the DraftKings free Super Bowl prediction challenge. 
Once you submit your picks, you'll get a free instant prize up to 25000 bucks. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code HAM. Enter the $55 million Super Bowl prediction challenge. we got to get in that. Everyone gets an instant prize. You're in? Uh, everyone gets yeah. an instant prize up to $25,000 just for playing. Use the promo code HAM. Now enter the $55 million Super Bowl challenge. Only at DraftKings, the official fantasy barter of Super Bowl 55. Terms and conditions and eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Okay, back to Brent and Brennan. Wait, wait a second, John. Hold on. Coach, you, you called him Tommy Brady. Does that mean that you know him personally? No, that was like his name because he went to Sarah High School, right? I went to St. Francis. Um, he actually played against my brother, um, and actually, no, I don't know Tom and, um, you know, and like, what an ama- what an interesting story, right? Like the whole thing's fascinating. Just like, <laughs> just the world that he lives in is just not, he appears to be getting younger, which I'm jealous of. Um, you know, he's playing, <laughs> he's playing at the 43 in, in the Super Bowl. Like the guy's a freak. He's incredible. Well, I think it's fair to say with Tom, people have been just shooting me texts like, "What? how is this guy so good? It, obviously, his physical tools, you know, I mean, he's big, he's got a big arm, he's accurate, but he feels like one of the most relentless human beings in the history of sports. And obviously, he's a great teammate. And when you talk about that quarterback position, you know, when you, when you deal with it at the collegiate level in terms of the character and the leadership, that maybe someone with a pass rusher or a linebacker, it might not bother you as much. But how much does the kid, the character, when you're recruiting a player, especially some of these transfers now, the transfer portal has basically become quarterback free agency, it feels like, at least from the outside. Sometimes it's like you're getting a hold of a guy that's coming from a Power 5 program that you would never have gone to you originally. But now he's moving. You have to factor in why he's transferring, some of the character stuff, how much, uh, you know, kind of recon scouting do you do on the person as much as the player? No, yeah, that's a huge part of it is getting all that background. And, and I think it's for those – the quarterback position, just one guy gets to play. So it, it's easier to understand a quarterback transferring or entering the portal, right? Like yeah. normally normally some of the uh, issues or challenges that come with some of those guys um, in the portal or transferring or, or whatever, it, it's, it's not always part of that quarterback position. And that's a – generalization i understand but, but three um, three straight number one picks were, were transfers you know so it's yeah but that was also an extremely high baseline right like it wasn't like you know um what's his name uh baker like like baker sucked you know like he started at texas tech as a freshman right like it wasn't yeah. like um kind of really played Burrow. at a&m yeah, yeah. Joe Burrow didn't play at, at San Jose State and then transfer to LSU and ball out, right? Like, like yeah. the, the, he was a top 10 quarterback coming out of high school. So, you know, that kind of projection is, is, is not as extreme to me as what maybe happens with somebody who, um, you know, like the kid that's playing for Buffalo, right? That's a fantastic story, you know? Um, even though he's a first-round draft pick, his path to – getting there was not that, you know, played, played at Wyoming, right? Like, yeah. like who wants to go throw the football in Wyoming, you know, but he's a fantastic player. What a great player. And what a great story. Did Trey Lance send you his tape? I don't think so. Would I don't you, think so. Would you have, uh, have you seen him? No, no. 
we, 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 only, we only worry about the guys that either fit or that we can get. And then we're also heavy recruit California, right? So, um, you know, that, that part of it's a little different for us. We're not necessarily nationwide um, for those. Now, the Starkle situation, you already mentioned how that happened. That was much different for us um, just because of how, um, you know, him and Josh Love, our quarterback, who had really had an incredible senior year, Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year, um, felt great about his process with us, and him and Nick were roommates at, um, you know, at Steve Clarkson's Futures Camp, and that's how that happened. Hmm. How so do you balance? How do you balance recruiting? Because you know you're recruiting a guy all in, and then maybe an Oregon State comes in, or maybe a UCLA comes in, and you're going to lose the guy. Has that been a I mean, learning Nevada process? Nevada had Justin Herbert. They were the first ones to offer Herbert. Yeah, all of it. I mean, yeah. it happens. Yeah. Has that been a learning process since you've been back at San Jose State, coming from Oregon State? Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you have to um, you have to just identify best you can how you think those will shake out and then you have to have plan B and plan C and and all that stuff. Um, you know, I think depending on, you know, we've had a little bit of success kind of recruiting against some of the schools in the, in the pack, which is, which has been good for us. Um, you know, and then also back to that, you know, imperfect evaluation process or best you can, um, it's still a projection. And what we found here is that we're much more of a developmental program and our best players have been guys that came in as freshmen and developed over time. And by, you know, by their junior or senior year, playing their best football. And I think that's going to be the space that we always fit in. So it gives us a chance to take, you know, we had Josh Oliver tight end drafted in the third round a couple of years ago by Jacksonville. And he was recruited by the previous staff, but they did a great job of evaluating and projecting him. And, you know, he came in as a 6'3", 215-pound tight end, and he left as a 6'4 255-pound Greek god. Greek god, Like, he looked ridiculous, you know, by the end of it. And he's a third-round draft pick. So that devel- developmental part of that process for us is is a little bit where we will lean most of the time. You know you know who's on the uh, Spartans, Middlecoff, is Derek Deese Jr. Yeah, big tight end. And and I you know calling a San Jose State game this year you said you you watched him on tape and uh, you knew he was a tight end he just didn't know it yet I mean is is that a guy that could be is he develop ahead, about developing pros like like his because his body is fantastic he just never blocked anybody before this year and and that's what was so impressive about him is um, you know when he played high school he played receiver in high school and junior college. Um, and there's actually, uh, Steve Mariucci is the one that called me and said, Hey, look at this kid. I think he's, I think he's a tight end, but he's playing receiver. His dad played for me. And so I threw on the tape and I took the offensive staff and I just kind of told him that backstory, but everybody said the same thing. He was six, four. He was kind of thick. He ran well, probably not well enough to play outside at wideout. Um, but he had incredible ball skills. And so you know, had a conversation with him. He ended up here and the rest is history, but he has developed into an incredible blocker, like fantastic. Um, I really thought, um, you know, that he should have, you know, it's right now the trend in tight end is that those guys are just big wideouts, right? They're just big receivers that are not attached to the formation. And, you know, that those guys should be labeled as wideouts, you know, like they're not, you know, you're Jason Witten and those guys that are going to Tony Gonzalez going to stay in line and block 
which is what you need your tight ends to do. Um, they got to run and catch too, but you know, you see Gronk, Gronk's doing a lot more blocking right now than he is running and catching balls. Right. So, um, but I think Derek Deese's future is really bright. He's an awesome young man, great student, gets really good grades. Um, we watch him kind of grow up and mature here. Uh, we're lucky to have him on our team. I know that. Well, you know, we throw out the word development so much, you know, whether it's college or even in the NFL, when you say that word, what does that truly mean? Is just practicing every day? You naturally get better as a 18, 19, 20 year old guy. Is it a progression of eating weight room? Is it encompassing everything? Is it playing in games? Is it reps in the spring? When you say the word development with a player, what does that mean? No, I, I think it's all those things. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely not a one phase or another. Um, it, for us, it's a little bit more of the projection and then the development, right? So it's going to, you know, it's going to take some time to get, um, you know, Derek Deese to the point where he can block, you know, a big badass defensive end, um, you know, but then midway through his first year playing with us, he was starting to do some of that. And we were like, Whoa, okay. Um, and so giving those kids a chance, you know, for us, we do take a really holistic approach to their development. We already mentioned the beyond football part of it. Um, you know, in terms of their down the road stuff, but beyond football also for us is community service, campus engagement. And so, you know, that, I think that's all part of their developmental process as we're, you know, they're going from high school to college to whatever it is after college. Who's the best player you ever saw before he was a star that you knew was going to be a star? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, before he was a star, you can change the rules wow. of the question for uh, anybody you want to talk about. That was great. Uh, you know what? I, I think um, maybe Marquise Lee, when he was in high school at Sarah High School, um, he was playing opposite a George Farmer, who was the you know everyone's all everything guy. Um, I think they had five division one guys. I was at San Jose at the time I was recruiting a linebacker and a uh, linebacker and a defense and a nose guard. And, uh, and like you were talking about earlier last week, Colorado came in and took the linebacker and ASU came in and took the nose guard. Um, but because of that, I got to see them play a couple times and, um, Marquise Lee was un unbelievable, just incredible, incredible. And he wasn't really kind of, you know, obviously he went to USC, so he ended up getting that kind of notoriety. But early on, that was not his profile um, because of all the other guys on that team. I think they had six Pac-10, Pac-12 guys on that on that roster, on a high school roster, which is it's pretty pretty salty. There's a famous famous Justin Wilcox story when he was recruiting Kellen Moore, and he goes into Pete's office, and Pete goes, "We're not going to sign this five ten quarterback." And he said, if, if this guy doesn't work out, you can take away a scholarship from me next year on the road. He kind of pounded the table, Pete gave in, and then the rest is history. As a head coach, does that, how often does your scout, your, I mean, your coaches are your scouts when they come in pushing a guy and you're on the fence, do you get talked into, or has that ever happened when you were an assistant coach, you had to do that to your head coach and it either worked out or it didn't work out. No, I, I think those conversations happen all the time. Hopefully they happen in the staff room. So there's some accountability amongst the coaches, right? Like if it's one-on-one, -on -one, we call that the backdoor boogie, 
right? Like someone, <laughs> little backdoor deal. Someone, yeah, someone comes in my office and they're like, "Hey, I want to, you know, I want to talk to you about so and so again." Uh, you know, but so normally we try and force those. <laughs> we force the issue with those so that they're out in front and everybody because it's really easy to pound the table for a guy when it's you one-on-one with the head coach takes a little more courage Mm. and a little more certainty to do it in front of the whole staff. Um, but the the, the really challenging thing about, or the fun thing, I guess about coaching is it when you do it and it doesn't work out, the staff never lets you forget it. I mean, every time that kid, you know, doesn't go to class or is late for a workout, the staff is like, you know, looking at you like, Hey, Brennan, way to go. Thanks for pounding on the table for so-and-so. <laughs> How about Devonte Adams? That's an awesome story, man. Just fantastic. Um, that was in my, um, I had, I had left San Jose and, uh, and he was coming out of Pally and what a fantastic player. I love, um, just the story, the story, you know, his work with Keith Williams, who was his coach at, at Fresno and, and I replaced Keith here. So Keith and I have been friends for a long time. Um, wide receiver guys tend to stick together, which is, you know, my background. Um, so I, I, I love that he's, you know, he's continued to work out with Devonte and continue to help him grow and develop as a player. Um, it's really, really, really neat, but it's awesome for the Bay to have a guy like that. You know, I think it continues to prove we were talking about Tom Brady earlier that there's really talented football players in Northern California. You know, obviously being a head coach, there are a lot of cool parts. Everyone starts knowing your name. You make money. You know, when you win, you get the accolades. What's the hardest part about being a head coach? Well, we didn't win much early on, man. So there was lots of beatdowns publicly there. Um, But I I will say the hardest part about being a head coach is um, the impact. Because people will say ridiculous stuff to your wife. They say really ignorant. They're, They're not trying to be rude. Um, and they're not really even aware, but they just, they don't have the same, um, caution they have when they talk to me. Right? You're saying in person, um, not, not on like social media, like in real life. Yeah. In person. Yeah. And, and, and so there's definitely, that's the hard part or, you know, our first two years, I remember coming home from, uh, coming home from practice in the middle of the week. And we just gotten, uh, we just gotten drilled by, um, Utah State on the road, and they had a really good team. And uh, my daughter, my daughter was a sophomore. She was at the kitchen table. She was studying, and she just looked up and she started crying. And she said, "Daddy, are are, are we getting fired?" And so I, I think those are the um, you know, and they're coaches' kids. They grow up in it. They they get it. But shoot, when you win or lose, they feel it as much as anybody in the team, anybody on the program, because they have to deal with it out there in the real world. You know, like for us, most of the time it's, it's around here, it's internalized. Or for me as the head coach, it just comes with it. But for, for them, you know, you got a 15 year old kid, not really equipped for that kind of scrutiny or that kind of intense criticism. Did you ever worry about that the first couple of years when they weren't going well? I mean, is it natural that that crossed your mind? Yeah. And, and you try to talk to them about it and try and, um, help them build up some, uh, you know, thick skin, uh, as they're going through it, but it, it's not easy. It's not a, uh, it's not a easy conversation and, and you're not going to be there to help them work through it. When some kid says, 
you know, your dad sucks, the Spartans suck, um, you know, whatever that is. Right. And, and so trying to help them kind of have the right, um, courage, the right language, um, that kind of stuff, um, is something that my wife and I have been, you know, educating them on for, you know, uh, 15 years. You tell them, keep a list. And now when that kid's asking for tickets, the Spartans are good. <laughs> you remember. So, but it, is, it is cool. And, and this year has been a great lesson for them to, as quickly as people were to be critical of them and what we were doing here, they were just as quick to be supportive and awesome. And so um, it's a great lesson for uh, our players. It's a great lesson for my children, right? Like, Hey, everybody loves a winner and, but it's hard to win. And so how you deal with the hard times, how you deal with the defeats is going to have much more impact on your life than the success does. And, and trying to help our, our you know, our players and, and, and our, like I said, my own kids learn that and understand that um, is challenging, but I think it's valuable for them. I think it can help them live a better life. Well, you guys did that this year. I mean, not just being away from home to start the season, but playing a must-win game, home game. You guys played a home game in Vegas at the end of the year to get uh, to win the Mountain West title. Was to get to the Mountain West title game. That's right, to yeah. get to the Mountain West title game. And then you played the home game to win the Mountain West title game, uh, but it was not at home. So, uh, right. Brent, congrats, man. Great, thanks for making time. It's great to it's great to see you again. Great to talk to you. Yeah, appreciate you it. You guys Brent. are awesome. Thank pleasure. you. It's great hanging out. Appreciate it. Love talking to that guy. Stud. After we Absolute finished recording, we stud. talked to him for another 20 minutes. We should have kept recording. I know. I gave him a theory. He liked it. Yep. Well, he told us some good gossip. Can't tell it here on the podcast. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Last thing, mailbag for the show today. Uh, don't forget, iTunes. Go to iTunes. Subscribe. Give us a review. Five-star review. That helps. We appreciate it. And in your review, just leave us a mailbag question. Yep. Do it now. So this question is about lengthening the NFL season. Warning, for those of you with kids in the car, you can go ahead and skip ahead 45 seconds before I tell you who this question's from. I'll give you a second. If you got kids in the car, 45 seconds. The question comes from, huh, his name is Ass to Mouth. Interesting. Here's what he or she says, Mr. Mouth. Call him by his first name, guy. Ass. Ass. Ass to. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ass to. Uh, <laughs> should we warn people ahead of time that I'm about to read that person's name? Driving around in the car I, with kids. I mean, I based on analytics, our average listener is 25 to 35, so I think they're probably laughing right now. Uh, I'm not high on the NFL adding a game to the regular season. It's commonly stated that a football season is a war of attrition. The NFL thinks trimming two low-risk games in the preseason is equivalent to one regular season game. I like seeing stars healthy. I know it's all related to making up for the dollars lost to COVID, would teams consider sitting stars if they're matched up against a perennial losing franchise in which they could likely get a win with backups in key spots? Example, the Chiefs for the Jets, sitting Mahomes and playing Henny. Awesome effing podcast fellas. So again, the question is, if you add games to the regular season, would you ever get somebody getting a quote-unquote off day, right? Like Barry Bonds not playing on a Sunday or a catcher not playing a night game after a day game. Would NFL teams ever reach that point where the season's too long and they just rest a guy just for rest? What's your answer? No. Yeah, 100% no. He also said in that statement that, you know, I understand because of COVID doing the full, it, this has the 17-week season, right, was back when Corona was a beer. That that they, they were doing that. The TV games pay for everything, and they print the cash. The preseason games, 
did a couple things I think teams realized. One, we're taking all this risk because we play our guys, even if we play them a quarter or two, yet the games don't rate like, our. what are we wasting our time for? And the coaches are like, development! And the owners are like, I just care about money. It's just completely a money move that had, that had nothing to do with lost stuff during Corona. It was, this had been, what we, feels like a three or four years kind of conversation about the extra game and the fighting back and forth and the extra bye week. Yeah, it definitely picks up steam when we start talking about all the, the cap going down and that kind of stuff. But yes, it's been a few but years. That, but remember, that. that was being discussed because people at the have been, CBA before Corona hit. Yeah, no, for sure. I just People have been complaining about the preseason games for years now. Like, like I don't compl- think the preseason's coming. I don't think preseason's come back. Uh, Got to see the risk versus reward just to make sure they get that extra 17th game. I, well, I there is coaches, no risk because you don't play any starters, and the reward is you can charge everybody full price. Yeah, but the but if I get the extra game, the risk is the player. The starters I, don't play anyway. No, but the, some teams do. You think we'll see preseason games again? I don't know. Players, maybe the players should get it in their CBA that if they make over a certain amount of money, they can't play in the preseason. Maybe a game or two. I d- I just think the seventeenth game is coming. That that was that's being well because here's no what's what. gonna what's gonna happen right the owners are gonna say we want a seventeenth game the players are gonna go great more money the coaches are gonna go I would love to be able to see my fifth round quarterback play before the season starts It'd be great we won't play any starters we'll play two preseason games you still get one home you get one road I don't think they're going away completely because you make money on them and you don't pay the regular season salaries yeah but I, I think the amount of money you make is not anywhere near the regular season game and it might just not pencil I also think because it, it might it's an it's an easy one to give in if the players are like we'll do pre we'll do 17th game no preseason games like I could just see them giving in on that well that'd be an easy concession if I was an owner I, I don't I know think exactly it's bad. how much they make here's a take in a preseason game that's not a bottom line how much do we make in the intake I think it's bad for the sport to not have preseason games I think having Build up, right? Having, it's like you're a movie, have your trailer air for three not, weeks before I, the movie with, just I'm, appears I'm in theaters. It. I think that's good for the, I think it's good for the product. I think it's good to get people fired up for games that don't matter and then start talking about, I think it's just, I think it's all good. I think, I think preseason games are good for the ecosystem of promoting the sport, building up the anticipation, talking about the games getting people fired up to talk about somebody's second string quarterback playing in the third quarter. Like I think all that stuff is good. So I would not give that up if I were the NFL. I think it's good for the, you know, if we think about it, like the WWE and the storylines and the whole thing, I think it's good for the whole movie to have preseason games. Roger that. Roger Goodell. That. I, no, I, uh, they, uh, in the Tiger book, when he goes to the Navy SEALs, oh. one big thing is he started using the terminology. Yeah. And they've, it's been written that. about before. I The other day, there was nothing on on like a Tuesday, and I was on my iPad scrolling around on YouTube, and one of the videos that came up were like, watch the 2018 Ryder Cup, Tiger Woods, Patrick Reed versus Tommy Fleetwood and Francisco Molinari. And I just started watching it. And they had like, I was watching it on Sky TV, European TV, incredible microphones over there. So you can see all, hear all the conversations. And Tiger was like, uh, Joey, where where do you think we should hit this? You know, they're just talking about where they should be aiming. And he's like, aim at the left tower. Tiger looks at him and goes, roger that. And I started laughing because he, he really does incorporate all the terms. It's like a sniper. He's like, a, yeah. aim at the left tower. Roger that. 
I might start okay. using that. Like, yeah, right, Roger that. Uh, your food's, your, John, your food's ready. Roger that. Roger that. But you should start texting back ro- Roger with a D. Roger that. Yeah, Roger Goodell that. Roger Goodell. Actually, Roger Goodell, does he spell it with a D? Like Rogers? Uh, Goodell. Ro- no, oh. no D. I think usually no. D is in the last name. Anyway. All right. Uh, good mailbag question. Thank you, uh, Mr. Mouth. And uh, <laughs> use your real name. That's fun, too. Yeah, have a good day today, ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> have a good weekend. Some, some things are just funny, no matter, you know. No, they, they really are. All right. On that note, everybody, Godspeed. Peace. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.